future. There are no people. There are no people in the future. No people at all. There are no people in the future. Where did all my people go? There are no people in the future. Let me try my people call. Everybody, 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 welcome, welcome. Yes, it is Monday, December 11th. We are almost in mid-December. It's killing me. It's Monday, December 11th, 2023. Welcome to Raging Chickens, Out to Coop Live. This is Kevin Mahoney, editor and founder of Raging Chicken. On Out to Coop Live, we talk to progressives, activists, and troublemakers of all sorts, right from our own backyards and across the country. You can join us also at the end of the week for our Friday Politics Roundup, where we break down the good, the bad, and the ugly in state and national politics. Gotta love it. You can get all our shows by subscribing to our podcast on Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. You can help support this show by becoming a patron for as little as five bucks a month. Head on over to patreon.com slash rcpress for all the details. You can also help out the show by heading over to our YouTube channel if you're not there already. Smash that subscribe button, like the stream for this show, and hit that notification bell so you know every time that we go live. Ah, yes, yes. And if you're one of our awesome podcast listeners, make sure to leave us a five-star review on whatever platform you listen on. Leave a comment to let other folks know why you like the show. Little things like this help other people find the show. You can also join us on our Discord server. Check out information on that in tonight's show notes. And for more PA Progressive Talk, tune into the Rick Smith Show's live stream at 9 p.m. Eastern on his YouTube channel, Twitter, Facebook, and subscribe to his podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Head on over to ricksmithshow.com for the latest across all those platforms. And you got to check out the Sisters of the Night Caucus podcast if you haven't already. The amazing PA women stirring the political cauldron behind this podcast, Rock the House. And they know where the bodies are buried. Make sure to follow them on Twitter at, at the Night Caucus. That's at the Night Caucus on Twitter and subscribe to their podcast wherever you get your podcast. If you haven't heard, The Signal is a new podcast from the Bucks County Beacon. The Signal is hosted by the Beacon's editor-in-chief, Cyril Nicoleco, and produced by yours truly. Twice a month, The Signal will shine a light on right-wing extremist currents streaming through Bucks County and beyond. Cyril invites guests who can provide insight, analysis, and organizing solutions so that we can steer the community toward calmer, saner, progressive roots. And in case you missed it, the uh, Beacon has also launched a new Gen Z-focused podcast called The Civic Circle. The Civic Circle is a podcast um, that's tackling politics and policy from a Gen Z lens. Sarah Zhang, Mallory Marzon, and Alexandra Coffey are students from Bucks County, Pennsylvania. And once a month, they chat about activism, advocacy, and all the political happenings affecting their generation today. Go to the BucksCountyBeacon.com, check out the links to all their podcasts, and make sure you subscribe and help support them. And for all you gamers out there, out there, the Game In, that's with two N's, the Game In is a Quakertown-based black family-owned gaming store. They're friends of the show, and they've got everything from retro N64s, latest consoles, video games for all platforms, collectibles, action figures, Funko Pops, walls of Funko Pops, and kids get discounts when they get A's of their report cards. You can't beat it. Check them out on their Facebook page and follow them on Twitter at, at the Game In, that's with two N's, at the Game In on Twitter. Got a question about a game, looking for something hard to get, shoot them a message or drop them an email at thegameinpa at gmail.com. And a shout out goes to Jonathan Mann, who wrote our intro song, There Are No People in the Future. Check out all his great stuff on his YouTube page and follow him on Twitter at, at Song of Day Man. Again, two N's at Song of Day Man on Twitter. 
Well, listen, everybody, on tonight's show, I'm very, very excited. I welcome Ashley Gillis Perkins and Adrian King to the show. Ashley is a staff attorney with the Education Law Center, and Adrian King is the president and founder of the Pair Up Society and a parent of two kids right here in the Penridge School District. Today, we'll be talking about the discrimination complaint against the Penridge School District that was filed with the U.S. Department of Justice's Civil Rights Division and the U.S. Department of Education's Office of Civil Rights. The complaint charges that the Penridge School District has discriminated against LGBTQ plus students and students of color in violation of Title VI of the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and Title IX of the Educational Amendments Act of 1972. We'll talk about what all that means and the history of the ongoing and systemic discrimination in the district. And we'll talk about what the election of a new school board majority may mean for how this complaint may be addressed. Ashley Gillis Perkins joined the Philadelphia Office of the Education and Law Center in October 2020 as an Independence Foundation Public Interest Law Fellow. Ashley's work centers on addressing the significant educational injustices for youth involved in the child welfare and juvenile justice systems in the Philadelphia area who enter, reside in, and leave residential facilities. Ashley provides representation for students and families, trainings for families and communities, and significant outreach to stakeholders to ensure oversight, accountability, and access to quality education for system-involved youth. Originally from Bridgeport, Connecticut, Ashley graduated with a JD from Loyola University in Chicago School of Law with a certificate sorry, in child and family law, as well as an MED in cultural education policy studies from Loyola School, uh, Loyola Chicago School of Education, blah, 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 fumbling all over my words there. Um, I'm so glad to have her here. Adrian King is wife, mother of two daughters in the Penridge School District, an outspoken leader and advocate in the community. Adrian founded the Pair Up Society, a 501c3 nonprofit organization after experiencing difficulties in her children's school district and realizing the difficulties of navigating that system for her and other underrepresented students and their families. The Pair Up Society helps build community among underrepresented students and their families and provide them with resources to advocate for their needs while also advocating, um, uh, activating allies to provide support. Adrian holds a BS in chemistry from the University of Pittsburgh, MS in quality assurance and regulatory affairs from Temple University, and leadership certificates, certifications from Duke University and Cornell University. Adrian and her family currently reside right here in PA, where she's committed to putting roots down in the community and doing the work to create a sense of psychological safety, belonging, and inclusion for all community members. Welcome to the show, Ashley and Adrian. Hi, good evening. Thank Thanks for having me. You got it. Thank you know, you okay. Yes, yes. And that, so this is, you know, okay, so I'll give you all the kind of official introductions, right? You know, that here's all the stats and the graphs, and this is kind of what we're all about, and where's the bios. But what I thought we could do just to kind of, especially for folks who might not be familiar with all the work that each of you are doing, I thought we could just um, allow you to kind of tell a little bit about the work that you do and kind of what brought you to that work um, and what brings you to this um, this particular moment um, fighting for, you know, justice in Penridge. Ashley, um, since you know, this is your first time on the show. Why don't we start with you and kind of introduce yourself to um, the crew out there? Yeah, thank you. Uh, so I typically introduce myself, um, obviously a staff attorney now, um, but I add that I came to lawyering via organizing, um, just being from Bridgeport, Connecticut, uh, where I attended public schools. Um, I think I'd call them uh, underfunded schools. I think most people would 
would say that. Um, and just that sort of stark contrast between uh, living in Bridgeport, but being in very affluent uh, Fairfield County. So uh, just experiencing firsthand some of the discrimination uh, related to funding, related to race, related to people's identities, um, particularly based on their uh, zip code. Um, and so that put um, other entities, but Education Law Center on my radar, um, just a, a, a note to them in the really historic uh, school funding trial um, that yeah. was uh, earlier this year, where finally Pennsylvania has declared uh, education a fundamental right in our state. Um, so congratulations to PA for doing that in 2023. Um, but uh, that's sort of uh, background um, just led me to uh, becoming an advocate, um, to really making sure that there's um, an emphasis on um, being mindful of our past, uh, teaching honest and truthful history uh, to our young people so that we can move forward from from some of our um, historical maybe wrongdoings and, and mistakes uh, so that we are not repeating those mistakes um, and that we can make sure that our schools where um, everyone has a touch point, whether you're homeschooled, private school or online or in a public school has a touch point with the education system. And so if that in itself is inequitable um, and fostering harm, I think we as a society are really doing ourselves a disservice. So um, that's my, always my stump speech and what brings me to this to this work um, is there's so, so much to do. And I know Adrian knows that as well. Yeah, 100%. I have to say the Education Law Center has been such an incredible resource, I think, to uh, all school districts throughout Bucks County. And like, you know, it's Philadelphia based, but like if you, you feel like the Education Law Center should have an office right in Bucks County <laughs> because of uh, what we've been dealing with here for so long. Now, Adrian, you have been on the show before. We had you on the show when you were a candidate for school board here in the Penridge School, um, school District. Um, but your work has been kind of nonstop. And I think, you know, um, you know, I, I think has has been a motivating factor for a lot of people in this community to do more than just say, okay, we're just gonna, you know, somehow adapt to the abusive behaviors that we see in our community. But can you, you know, again, to back up for those folks who might not be as familiar with um, the work that you've done or, or done in the history of your community, can you give us a little um, introduction of your own? Yeah, thank you, Kevin. And Ashley, it's great to be on the show with you. You are right. The Education Law Center has done a ton of work um, in this area. And so it's a it's an honor to be able to work with them, um, you know, for this uh, for this complaint. Um, so yeah, so I I live in the Pennard School District, as as you mentioned. Uh, my family and I have lived here since two thousand and seven. Um, we have two daughters um, that that are in the school district here, um, and and I'll also say I grew up in Bucks County as well, not in Penridge, but in Bucks County. Mm -hmm. Um, and so definitely started to recognize the signs um, of what I had experienced growing up in Bucks County and in Bucks County schools when I started seeing certain things or hearing certain other things happening to my, my own daughters. And when I was running for school board, getting out into the community and telling my story, my reason why I was running, I was able to connect with a lot of community members. And through those conversations, what I realized very quickly was my family wasn't the only one feeling that way or yeah. experiencing those things, whether they were experiencing them currently or they had experienced them previously. Um, there are a lot of people in the Penridge area who grew up here, who went to school here, came up through Penridge schools. 
And so being able to connect even with alumni who was able to tell stories, but then also connect with current students who were telling the same stories. And I was like, something needs to be done. Something really, really needs to be done. And usually the first thing that people say to me when I connect with them around my story and, and what my girls have experienced and we as a family have experienced, they immediately say, I thought I was alone. Yeah. I thought yeah. I was alone. I felt, you know, stressed. I didn't know what to do. You know, some people just feel like they just have to deal with it. They don't know what their rights are. Um, they don't even know that they have rights. Um, a lot of times when, you know, some of the issues that are mentioned in the complaint happen to students, it's chalked up as, oh, kids being kids. It's, it's just, it's typical bullying. Um, and that's sort of the rhetoric that people are told. Um, and they don't realize that it, it does at some point extend beyond that. And so that's where the work of the Parap Society, I found that I was spending a lot of time coaching parents and students and a lot at the elementary school level, um, all through elementary, middle, and high school, but a lot at the elementary school level, which surprises a lot of people. Um, and so it was that's re really where the Parap Society was born out of, was that work that I was doing to help support those families and give them guidance, give them connections into resources that could help them understand uh, what their civil rights were, what their children should be experiencing in school versus what they shouldn't. How do they handle it? Um, what is What do you do in those interactions that when you have, when you have to report something, what is the critical information that you need to collect or you need to have? Um, who do you need to talk to? What are okay things for you to ask for as a parent, right? And really just encouraging them to exercise their voices continually until they they get what they need or or they see some change because a lot of parents will say well I did speak up I did email I did call and nothing happened or I got something that was sort of like an empty promise and so I just gave up but we don't want them to give up we want them to continue to use their voice right and also if that doesn't work extend beyond that to connect into resources that can help them and so that's been a lot of the work that the Parap Society has done in addition to just celebrating diversity as a strength within the within the community. So one thing that we, we do is we partner with other organizations to highlight um, cultural and ethnic celebrations within the community. So a big one we have coming up in December is we partner with the Mercer Museum in Doylestown to celebrate Kwanzaa. Um, that was a celebration that we did here in our home um, since our girls were little. And it's now it's something that we do for the community at the Mercer Museum. So we do um, events like that throughout the year. One of our big events is a unity walk that we do every October, the first weekend in October at the Bucks County Community College in Ferguson. That's a little bit about us. No, that's fine. And, you know, the point that you make about about breaking the isolation um, and people feeling like they're alone. I mean, that's the kind of story we is like, you know, the first step in any kind of movement building. Right. Is because it's so easy, like the discipline of any systemic discrimination is always built in. Right. It's built in to make you think, am I overreacting? Is this just me? Am I misunderstanding something? And that's, you know, the, the dialogues that go in. And of course, the burden falls on exactly the people that you highlight in this complaint, right? The underrepresented students and their families, right? Because mm -hmm. they feel like, oh, it's me. So all that mental work, 
right, goes into those families and those students just trying to kind of make it through. But by saying, hey, I'm not alone, suddenly, right, there's relief, I can imagine, <laughs> and, and power. You feel like now we can actually think about how we can um, work to solve this. And that's the work, you know, that you've been highlighting and showcasing since, you know, since you've got involved in this issue, certainly. 100%. Well, so let's let's talk a little bit about this discrimination complaint. And actually, I was hoping that you'd be willing to unpack just some terms for us here, because I know there's some confusion. I've seen this on social media. When we're talking about this, um, this discrimination complaint that's getting filed with the Department of Justice Civil Rights Division and Department of Education's Office of Civil Rights. But a, a complaint is not the same thing as a lawsuit, right? Okay. So these are two distinct things. So can you talk us through what's involved with filing this kind of complaint um, and how that might be different from a lawsuit and what this kind of complaint hopes to do. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, the main distinction is to think of, and I'll, I'll try to limit my acronyms, but uh, DOJ, Department of Justice, uh, Office of Civil Rights, OCR, that those are federal enforcement agencies. They have the authority to investigate complaints, um, particularly for um, public uh, offices, state agencies, you know, school systems, universities uh, that are receiving the federal dollars. So essentially, federal government maintaining some sort of accountability to say, um, if we are funding you in any way, uh, you're letting us know that you're not violating federal laws and protections, uh, particularly in this case, Title VI uh, for Civil Rights Act, which covers a lot of our um, racial harassment, race-related uh, targeting and claims, and the Title IX, which uh, covers uh, gender and sex uh, and identity, um, that there is recourse for uh, districts in particular, when we think of schools, um, one, to be making sure that they're following the law, uh, two, making sure that when they're on notice that there's a harm that's happened. Think of bullying that Adrian uh, means, right? It's not necessarily typical bullying. Um, and to get specific, you know, the complaint really details horrific instances of young students and um, all the way up through high school being, you know, repeatedly called the N-word, um, you know, LGBTQ students being told that they should die or not exist, um, and other really specific, targeted, traumatizing uh, bullying that in turn starts to create a, a hostile environment, which those agencies, OCR and DOJ, uh, that's, what, that's what they're, you know, partial of their um, duties is to enforce that and to make sure that that's not happening and that there can be plans of, of action to um, not just to prevent it um, from happening, but to redress it once, once they've been on notice that that's what's taking place. So it's different than a lawsuit in the sense that someone's not being sued. Uh, there's not a judge. Um, there's no docket number. Um, those are options. Um, mm -hmm. People have brought state um, actions. There's a state agency that investigates. Um, there's the um, Pennsylvania Human Relations Commission that they can file complaints in the state. There's, you know, federal uh, court and state court options. Uh, we chose this route as it's, it's considered an administrative complaint, mm -hmm. uh, could be seen as some of the first steps 
particularly in the complaint, parents and other advocates and teachers, even students themselves, detailing how they've advocated for themselves over time. They've asked for interventions. They've sought out help. They've made suggestions. They've left the district. They've come back to the district. They're trying to improve these circumstances. And the district um, essentially was not responsive, was not taking the issue seriously Um, And it was resulting in very direct, very real everyday harm for students who are trying to learn. So um, while there, you know, there could be lawsuits, um, that's not what this is. Uh, Hoping that either DOJ or OCR takes up the allegations in the complaint, Uh, they would conduct an investigation. There's typically collect records, uh, interview people issue findings. Those findings sometimes uh, result in remedies and recourse and course plans of action to take the complaints um, allegations and to move them into solutions, into finding ways that this, the problems that are raised can finally be addressed and solved. Yeah. So it reminds me of like, like a couple things, like one should be clear to everybody who's listening to all those like terms that you were laying out there, things like hostile environment and discrimination, all this, right. This is, these are things that have been well-established in law, right? I mean, ostensibly the things that we've agreed to as a society to take a step forward, to recognize historic patterns of discrimination, right? I mean, this is true in sexual harassment, discrimination cases and racial harassment, discrimination cases across the board. And so it's kind of like saying, Hey, we're, we've agreed to be part of this nation, right? And this nation has agreed to take these steps forward, right? We, I think we can all agree that we're, they have not gone far enough, but we could say, take these steps forwards. And so it's saying, we're just asking you to kind of come here and help us make sure that we are like abiding by these things that we've all agreed upon. Like exactly. on the one, yeah, on the one hand. And then the second thing, just like you said, I like the way that you lay that out because it's saying like, look, we're going to, we're going to we're going to go through the channels, right? And people have gone through the channels. We're going to establish that there's like everything from a student making a complaint to parents getting involved to organizations pushing forward. And now look, this right here is still a collaborative possibility for a solution, right? Without going to a lawsuit, we have an opportunity as a community to address this with the assistance of the guidelines of these agencies. Is that, was that a fair reading? Yeah, definitely. I think, um, and particularly just to go back, you know, it's it's the Civil Rights Act of 1964, right? Not 2020. <laughs> not yesterday. <laughs> you know, it's not anything that popped up overnight. You know, they've been, complaints have been filed in this way. It's the agency's job is to protect people from discrimination. Um, you know, when you look at Title VI, again, based on their race, their color, um, you know, their hair, their their skin um and that includes you know racial harassment and i don't know if there's anyone here not on this uh podcast meaning just in general in the society that would say repeatedly calling someone the n-word is not racial harassment i think that i would hope we could at least all come to agree that that would be an example of harassing someone based on their race Um, And so as a district, as an agency, as an entity, um, being charged with upholding those laws and protecting students, that means all students, not just some, um, particularly these laws were created because of historical um, things that have happened, you know, because there weren't protections in the past, that there's more of a duty to be to be sensitive, to be responsive, to be proactive, to make sure that there's interventions happening. Um, And essentially, this is about, you know, the school um, and districts 
not just Penridge, beyond that, right? But fulfilling those legal duties um, to be protecting students and following federal and state law. 100%. Now, now Adrian, you know, what we talked a little about this before the show, but um, one of the things that I'm kind of glad to be, that we're having this conversation at this point is because it allows us to, I think, uh, look at this complaint in a little bit of a different light. Because I think anyone who's listening to this podcast right now, I think is going to be familiar with the actions of the most previous board majority in the Penridge School District and how rapidly and kind of backwards looking they were. The aggressive actions they took, discriminatory actions, I would argue, um, and aligning with like really extremist policies, right? And we've seen this laid out, as you mentioned in the complaint here, um, like the Moms for Liberty crew that, you know, um, has been identified by the Southern Poverty Law Center as an extremist organization, anti-government organization. So we could talk about the, the impact of that school board majority. But Adrian, you're just again, the story that you told, right? And even in this complaint, we see we're, ta- we're not talking just about the past board. We're not talking about like that specific group of people. We're talking about more long-term, more systemic kinds of discriminations and stories from parents and students about not just, you know, this name being thrown out by one particular kid, but by inaction by the district. Right. So can you kind of walk us through a little bit from from your lens, kind of coming into this district and the work that you've been doing, how you have seen this as a persistent pattern and some of the stories that you might have heard that contribute to um, this complaint? Yeah, so you're you're right. It, it is more systemic and longstanding. The complaints, more examples of, of similar things and then other things. So we definitely have heard or I definitely have heard, you know, a lot at the at different levels of, of schooling where uh, students of color are exposed to being called racial slurs. Um, they may be have been compared to a monkey, that they look like dirt, the touching of the hair or the talking about their hair, about how it's different or it looks messy or different, you know, statements like that. Um, and even the handling of students when situations do happen looking at the consequences that are imposed on students of color being disproportionate to that of non-students of color um, and then being subjected to, to that. We've seen instances where um, there are situations where there's something happening in the, in the classroom or in the school to a student of color and the authority, the authority person in the room may remove that student instead of removing the person who's the aggressor or addressing the person who's the aggressor. We've seen situations where, um, where reports that students of color have made or even LGBTQ plus students have not been taken seriously um, and, and acted upon. We've seen where um, LGBTQ plus students have been threatened um, they haven't, you know, been referred to by their proper pronouns um, or identified as, you know, they wish to be identified and um, situations where, you know, even parents intervening in these things, the, the, the environment is not getting better for those students. We've also seen situations where um, practices like the summary citation are being used to respond to situations that have happened in the school. And I don't know if you know what a summary citation is, and I'll let Ashley talk about that 
on the legal side a little bit more, mm -hmm. but it pretty much takes those situations and events that have happened within the school and puts them in the legal system. And so now when you talk about the school to prison pipeline, you're starting that based off of a situation that has happened with the student in the school. You're building a paper um, trail for it, basically. So I'll, I'll, I'll let Ashley talk about it. But, but yeah, I mean, basically a student now has to appear in, in court based on something that happened in school. And depending on how that ruling goes, will depend if it's just a paper trail or if it's something else, right, for that student. And, um, and, and so um, all of these situations combined in the repeated nature of them happening um, and there not being anything done to try to mitigate or actually what I'll change that to say, there being things done to further um, create an environment that um, enhances these things to happen or creates them to happen more, such as, you know, banning books or, or you know, t the um, advocacy policy that was passed that limited what teachers could do to support their students um, and to advocate for them. Um, the disbanding of DEI initiatives within yeah. the school district, um, the the passing of the the bathroom policies that targeted trans students, the passing of policies that targeted for sports that targeted trans students as well. All of those things are creating an environment that would breed more and more of this type of behavior. Um, and so I think that all of that together has led us to the point of where we are today. And, and again, as you said, this is not something that's new, that dates back to 2020. We've heard from alumni that are in their 30s and 40s and 50s, right, that have been able to say either they experienced it directly, or now that we're talking about it, they remember it happening to the student next yeah. to them. No, excellent. So Ashley, Maybe we can use this as kind of to get into so the, complaint, the, the complaint kind of a little bit even more specifically of what you have this kind of laid out. Because one of the things, as Adrian was talking about that, what I was just thinking about is what the complaint essentially does, right, is it takes this out of the spaces of anecdotes and stories that people are telling and trying to build this and then starts to document, right, this as a kind of persistent pattern. Right. Because right? I mean, so because it's one thing for families to recognize, oh, yeah, this is going on. But now we we'll say, OK, now we're going to put this in a way that we're going to be able to document this and talk about these things as connected. So you could talk about, say, building this case or this complaint, I guess, um, and what you saw there as some of the, uh, you know, the things that needed to be included in here and some of the instances that you think were most maybe egregious. Yeah. And I think to take even what you're what you're describing and to. Um, channel it into the legal terms and the the basis partially for bringing uh, the complaints under Title VI and Title IX is they also cover hostile environments. And so that's where we even go back to the very beginning, right? It's like, is it just a one-off instance? It's kids being kids. It's teasing. Teasing sometimes turns into bullying, but it's really, you know, a hostile environment exists when you have, you know, conduct that, that might be physical, it could be verbal, um, it could be uh, written or non, um, and really over, over time, it's either, you know, it's pervasive or persistent or it's really severe, meaning it, you know, just happens once, but it was ex extremely egregious. Um, and then it interferes with uh, a student's ability to be able to participate um, in, in a program, in a service or an activity or a privilege, um, or it also um, 
it, it's interfering with their options to even have access to it. So, you know, putting those things together, you know, it's the conduct, it's the nature of the conduct, um, and then it's having a negative impact on, you know, in this case would be would be black and brown students and, you know, queer students at, at in the district. So can, can I ask you a question about this too yeah. as well? So how much how much of a role does it play about, say, administrative inaction? Because it seems like on the one hand, right, so let's take the kids being kids thing, right? So say a kid goes and calls another kid, right, the N-word. Right. If we take that as an isolated incident, right, we'd say, okay, there's a kid saying something that's inappropriate. But then it's at the point where you're looking at also patterns, as I saw in the complaint, of inaction on the from the administration. Because there'd be a way of turning that that instance into a very productive conversation, right? Mm-hmm. Where to kind of a recognition about what's happening in this kind of, in the moment, not just like, okay, we're going to put you in detention, but, <laughs> but like, let's talk about and let's figure out what's kind of happening here and why this is inappropriate for this. And, but instead we saw a lot of this, you know, administrative inaction, um, refusing to follow up with parents and things like that. How much does that play into these complaints? Yeah, very much so. And that's um, really uh, at the at the core of a lot of what's happening. It's uh, it's not a district that tried their best and the diversity and inclusion training, you know, went left or it didn't cover everything perfectly. Uh, it's a situation where there wasn't any intervention on that level. And I think the complaint, just to jump ahead just a little bit, that's one of the, you know, requested remedies to have sort of that intervention, that understanding to take the language of, you know, Title VI, for example, because we're, we're talking about students being called slurs, um, and to say, you know, this is a legally protected class, that use of that word is rooted in, for example, slavery and other um, vestiges of slavery. And here's why when you call this student that it's bigger than calling someone, you know, stinky head. It's not the same thing. And here's why it's different. Um, And I think that to bring it back to the inaction of the, the district that you have, you know, parents and students making the reports over time, And as you mentioned, there's the policy changes that are sort of codifying some of those things. If you're uh, a student of color and the Black Lives Matter flag is is stripped from everywhere in the school building or you're LGBTQ student and all pride flags are removed from classrooms and they're banned now, um, that is sort of seen as a removal of support that coupled with the lack of interventions, um, particularly when families are making these reports, this is where you get into, now we're creating a hostile environment. We have this historical situation. We're having these current day, current instances where it's happening, it's rampant. And now it's not only unaddressed, but it's being exacerbated by harmful discriminatory policies. And, and then there's no intervention. There's no, um, you know, aspect where the district is taking a step back to rectify it. It's sort of, we'll get back to you or silence or, um, you know, just to get specific into the complaint in one instance, going back now to tie in the summary citations, Mm -hmm. you know, a student who had been repeatedly called the N word and had asked for those interventions and support. um, It then turns into a physical incident. And then that student is disciplined. They're 
suspended. They're considered for expulsion. They're told that they can't come into this at this whole you know portion of the school building for this you know forty five day period. And where did that day period come from? Um, it sort of a, seems a little bit of a arbitrary punishment. And then not just the school based discipline and, and suspension and such and the lack of privileges and not being able to participate in school activities and all of the other things that happened, they received a summary citation, um, which is a adult criminal charge. Um, they need mm-hmm. to now appear in front of a magistrate and they face the potential of having an adult criminal record because of involvement in a school fight, which would be in that case charged as assault. Um, but then the, in all of that, the underlying root cause of the racial slur is lost, right? And now this student is up for punishment, up for probation, up for being adjudicated, you know. And then we have the snowball of the school-to-prison pipeline, and that's particularly significant because this is a student of color, and we see black and brown students more often than not being charged harsher and more often and leading to them becoming system involved and justice involved and then, uh, you know, evolved in the adult criminal system. And it's a snowball that, in this case, would start from something as simple as interventions in addressing bullying and racial sensitivity training for students and letting that student know, don't call that student the N-word. We don't tolerate that here in this school building. Here's why and then not just giving them detention, which is what happens. Um, and there's there's many other instances, right? But I think that's a really perfect example that ties in why there's that distinction, why we have this office that is charged to protect these students. It's not happening. And that's part of the reason why this is all being filed in the first place. Yeah, you know, I didn't know that incident that you were just referring to about that fight had ended up in the way that it did. Um, but I remember it. My son had come home and and the first thing he walked in the door said, man, there was this fight here. What? I said, well, what happened? And he, he knew what happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he said, this kid was calling his other kid the N-word, <laughs> right? And he wouldn't stop. <laughs> and yeah. so then he got mad, right? And he wouldn't stop. He wouldn't stop. I mean, so it was like, the people were witnessing at that, but then it right. seems to be like, okay, well, where's that part of the narrative? Um, and the fact that now to know that this got put in the, the like in a legal system, right? Um, that police were called in and that wasn't called in for the kid who was taunting him. <laughs> is it is is like this is I mean, how much more of a perfect case do you need to demonstrate this these disparities? Especially when you put that one next to all the other examples you have in here of like small instances of disparity and discipline um to this to that more kind of stark one. Right. Right. The rolling back of, you know, DEI initiatives, schools, maybe, and and sometimes rightfully so, not having all of the tools, right? Not having even going back to the beginning, right? Funding or time or, you know, fully teaching staff or, you know, there's all of these other problems that um, just exist in the nature of, of, you know, being a public school. They have a lot going on. Um, However, then we get into the now you're on notice of something that is wrongful and harmful and discriminatory and hostile. And the result is silence, inaction, discriminatory policies, and, and exclusionary discipline. And that's where it becomes problematic. Yeah, and this is precisely what you've been calling attention to for a long time, Adrian, right? 
Absolutely. I mean, it, to Ashley's point, you have these situations that happen and then it gets to the point where parents are being made to make a decision of, does my kid go to school mm-hmm. or do they feel safe? What do I do? Right. And there are some parents that are fortunate and, and they're able to put their kid in private school or take their kid off the bus and drive them to school every day. But there's a whole lot of parents that cannot do that. And so then their kid is just left having to deal with it, having, and, and, and the worst case for me, right. Is the kid that just has to keep taking it and taking it. And then the day comes and an example, like what, you know, Ashley described happens. Right. But all of that stuff that led to it just was sort of swept under the rug. And, and a lot of times the, the, the action of, okay, we handled this one instance and we gave the kid detention, let's say, or we pulled him into the principal's office. Socially, for the kid, the other kid that was involved, sometimes that makes the situation worse, right? Because they know, right? They know who told, they know who said what, they know who got such and such in trouble. And it makes the situation worse now where it may not just be with that one kid now, there's others that are involved as well. Right. And so right. they're just understanding and trying to do things through you know, DEI initiatives and things like that to make the environment better, to proactively educate, right, um, the students um, in the school community about how to handle these situations, how to have the conversations. Um, And when you're in a school district where um, minority students are in the lower percentages, um, I feel like a lack of representation sometimes creates these environments too, um, and, and you have it, you know, the, the space where that ignorance just continues to breed instead of, you know, putting in appropriate initiatives to address it. 100%. Well, like, I mean, looking at the time here now, I look, I feel like there's so much to discuss in this and I, and I've been trying to be as disciplined as I can in my own brain and not kind of keeping you here to midnight <laughs> to work through all these kind of details in here. But there's a couple things I hope we, we can kind of address like first specifically to the complaint. And then I want to talk about some, uh, just a little bit of a broader question. So let's say um, like next steps, I guess, right. We're looking at say, what now that the complaint has been filed, right? And there's a series of remedies that are being proposed here, right? What's the next step and what would that look like if, uh, you know, I guess, what would that next step look like, right? If they decide to come in kind of and investigate and what would those remedies look like? Yeah, I would just um, start by saying that there are remedies that are listed out that can happen tomorrow. Tomorrow, um, exactly. The, the district, the school board, the superintendent, um, you know, community folks that are working in and around the school all have the ability and authority to go ahead and move some of those things forward. For example, things that were rolled back and removed, um, like some of the DEI um, training, right, books that had been removed off of the shelves, those can go back. You know, there's uh, policies that were put into place that are discriminatory and could be seen to be unlawful or create hostile environments or make them worse. Those don't have to remain on as the policies. And there there are some of the pieces, for example, school districts uh, like Penridge and others can say, you know what, we're not going to use some recitations anymore. Um, and that's another remedy that is, is uh, an option, right? We're not going to use this. We didn't realize it, it 
snowballed into the school to prison pipeline and made things worse and cost families money and made students miss school and all of the other things that happen when you need to go and appear in a court um, in a courtroom. And so that's a, po- a practice that they could say and move forward with, you know, tomorrow. So I think there's a lot of pieces that, um, you know, we're asking, for example, the, the Department of Ed um, or DOJ to order the district to do. Um, but those are not necessarily things that they can't do without being ordered. Um, and let's be clear, those things, right, not only are they could be they be done tomorrow with an immediate action and vote, mm-hmm. they don't cost anything. Mm-hmm. Right? They're free, easy solutions, right? That don't doesn't cost a district a dime. Yeah. Right. Um yeah. it'll We've take cost time to do it. We've seen our neighbors do it when they brought their new leadership in day one, right? They said we're we're pausing these these policies until we have a chance to look at them and decide how we're gonna move forward, right? Day I feel like that is really setting a tone, right? Um, and so, yeah, there isn't anything that anybody needs to wait for. Um, it's just moving forward, knowing what needs to be done. And I feel like the the complaint is a playbook. It's a playbook that tells you exactly what needs to be done, or at least where to start. Um, and so any anybody in a leadership position could pick that up and move forward with it. Yeah, so we've got those ones that could be done tomorrow, right? And then there's the other ones that are a little bit more like allow it to get back to the original issue, right? About how do we address this systemically? Right, right. Things that would take more time, you know, um, conducting a survey, you know, establishing, you know, an equity team that's inclusive of the community and, um, you know, of, of all identities, right? Consultants or experts or trainings, creating positions. Uh, there's a lot of, of other larger uh, requested remedies in the in the complaint. But I think what it ultimately boils down to is that um, one office, uh, DOJ, OCR, will, will pick up the complaint. And uh, once the investigation is happening, it's it's relatively hands-off, at least as uh, counsel, for example, right? We co-filed this with uh, the clinic at uh, Penn advocating for um, racial justice and civil rights or the ARC. Um, and so there's, you know, as co-counsel, we would not necessarily be involved in the day-to-day of, of the investigation. That's typically the federal agency coming in and dealing directly with the district that the complaint is against to address what's in them, investigating the allegations, um, you know, as I said, conducting the interviews, pulling records. It becomes this extensive process that, at least as of right now, we're getting close to about a month having filed um, the complaint has not yet been picked up uh, for investigation. And that's something that we do anticipate, just not sure which which office they typically cross um, collaborate on who will take it and, um, you know, move it, move it from there. Sometimes the complaints are being investigated for a very long time. And so that's why we just emphasize some of the things that can still be undertaken that don't need to wait for this sort of higher level of being you know, ordered to do something, to take the proactive steps that families and advocates have been asking for really for years. Fantastic. Well, a few comments that uh, folks are putting in. So, so thankful we have leaders in our area helping all of us. We feel so isolated as a family. Um, as other people said, these ladies are powerful advocates for our students, right? And some folks saying that some of the new school board is off to a great start. Um, thank you for the comments and I kind of agree, but let me, let me put this in here. So uh, Adrian, going back to what you said, this is kind of like a playbook, 
right? And I, I, I'm not going to ask either of you to kind of like go here all the way with me on this. But when I look at this, this election that just took place, right? We have a new school board majority that was, I think, a largely mobilized in part off efforts of what was happening in this past school board and building on the work that Adrian, that you helped kind of facilitate and help build out. Um, and it's been an incredible experience to see a community actually have these discussions um, and having to start grapple with how we actually push back against this school board. Um, however, <laughs> right, we started from this as a, this is a long-term and systemic. And so I look at this, if this is indeed a playbook, right, this is something I think that we as in the community can help facilitate, right, by going to our school board now and saying, okay, if we were going to get behind these new members to say, this is kind of what we want, <laughs> right? <laughs> See, you know, we would love it if we don't even have to have this, you know, the DOJ and Department of Education come here and lead all this for us. We can do this as a community and we're off to a good start, right? Um, we now know what it means to organize in the community. We know what it means. We've broken down some barriers by knocking on doors and talking to people that we've never spoken to before in our community. And that's a building block, right, to address some of this stuff. I mean, so, I mean, I don't want to get too pie in the sky hopeful on this stuff, um, you know, because I recognize that we're dealing with historic inequities here and patterns of discrimination that are deeply rooted. Um, but I feel we have an opportunity here as a community to kind of address stuff. And, and it's not going to happen by itself. Like this, this document doesn't do work on its own while it's sitting on somebody's desk. It only does it when in the hands of people in our community doing it. So I think we have an opportunity here. And so Adrian, I mean, I don't know if, if, if you would go there with me or not, but I'm curious, like your reflections on kind of like the work that's been done since you started doing this work, looking at what we've just accomplished in this election and how you look at things going forward from here. Yeah. So to me, the, the complaint doesn't have a political party or partisan tied to it, right? Yeah. It's about ensuring that our students, all of our students, right, are able to go to school in an environment that is conducive to their learning, that allows them to be successful, and that their rights are not being violated. And as you mentioned, anybody can go to any of our leaders and advocate for these things. And what I found in the past is that these are, this is a space where a lot of people are not well-versed in speaking in. We've had few community members who work in this space and have come and advocated. Um, but this document gives others who, who may not be as well-versed a list of things that you can go and advocate for. Whether you see it happening to your own child or you see it happening to the child next to your child, right? Um, or just being a good citizen and realizing that these deficiencies exist and advocating for that in, in, in your school district and within the community. And, and ideally, I would say from being a part of the underrepresented group within Penridge, I think those that, that are at the center of this complaint and even others that, that their voices haven't been elevated through this complaint would feel great if their community did advocate, because a lot of yes. times when these situations happen, the burden is put on those that are subjected to the discrimination, the harassment and bullying to come out and speak about it. But when you have, I'll say allies or 
you know, advocates within your community that can come out and speak on behalf of what, you know, what you know needs to be put in place. It really does go a long way to make those families feel like they are included and like they belong. Um, and like other people see them and they hear them um, and understand what needs to be done and care about it, right? Because a lot of times these things go silent unless, like I said, it's the person who's subjected to it. That's the one. So you're, now you're already you're already subjected to whatever you're going through. And now you have to sort of put everything on your shoulders to try to fix the problem as well. But it would be such a lighter lift as we, if we as a community came together and, and did the lift together. 100%. So let me ask you before I turn over to Ashley again too, as well as like, so if you have a message for folks in the community, right, about like where they could go to get involved, want more information about say the work that you're doing, say with the pair up society or other things that you see as hopeful, um, what kind of message would you leave folks with? Yeah. So one, I would, I would say about becoming educated. A lot of people have heard about the complaint, whether it be through the news or the headlines. But I can tell sort of how they approach me about it if they really even sat down and read it, right? And, and maybe everybody doesn't have time to read it, but educate yourself about what's going on. And I, I have a, a friend who once she read the complaint, she went back home and had a discussion with her own children about what was in the complaint. And that opened her eyes, how much her kids knew about situations like this happening right in their classroom. And that led them down a discussion of, you know, the family becoming educated about what they could do, why it is right, because it is a two part, right? The school has a part and the home has a part. Yeah. So that would be one step. It's taking that responsibility within your own home and not just sort of lifting your hands and say, that's somebody else's kid. We don't have to worry about it. it's not happening, right? If it's happening to one in your community, it impacts the whole community. And then this the second part is about advocating for your for your neighbor, right? Maybe it is going to a school board meeting. Maybe it is writing a letter to your principal, right? If you don't look around the table, things you don't see in your school based on what's in the complaint, right? You can you just as well as that parent of the student who's impacted could send a note to the principal, to the superintendent, right, to ask about those things. And unfortunately, sometimes when it comes from somebody else, it's listened to a little bit more, right? Mm -hmm. And so there's opportunities for you to be able to do that as well. And I, I'm hoping for, from my perspective that this complaint really has opened people's eyes. Um, a lot of times when you hear about it happening, maybe to somebody you know, you dismiss it as, oh, it's just that person, right? Or that kid. Um, but realizing this is a much bigger issue and something that our district really needs to address. And we are all a part of addressing it not just a certain group of people. 100%, you know, and the points you made about setting off to say the emails or notes to principals and stuff, one of the interesting practices that I thought was really helpful um, throughout the past kind of few years is that in some of the kind of um, kind of uh, online groups and things, when parents were sharing those, you know, were sending off those emails, they were also sharing it with their private groups too as well. Um, kind of going against this, say, look, yes, it's I sent this off, but I want everybody else to see that I'm writing this too. And that would be an encouragement for other people to say, oh my God, this happened to my kid too as well. Let me write in about this. Or they came home with 
with this story from school. You know what? I didn't even think about sending an email off to the principal about this. So it's great. So Ashley, um, if you're same kind of question is like, if you're thinking about like steps forward and how you think um, where people can go for number one, for information, other works may, maybe the education law center is doing or what you hope to see and discover the next step. Uh, what, what would you leave people with tonight? Yeah, I think uh, just to uh, make notice, you know, Education Law Center, we are, we're statewide. Uh, we do operate a helpline. We have a number of fact sheets and toolkits um, on our website. I think, as Adrian mentioned in the very beginning, it's, I didn't even know that that was my right to not be discriminated against at school or to get this information or to be able to ask these questions to the school board. I had no idea. Um, and so we have those fact sheets, um, you know, the rights to be free from racism at school. Um, you know, what is my school board and how do I advocate? What is a book ban? How do I know when it's happening? A lot of it is being able to firstly recognize um, and then to take those next steps, uh, to take the steps to say, you know, this was a harm. I'm not just going to let it go under the rug. It's been under the rug, and now I'm going to raise my voice about it. And you can do that in a number of different ways. Um, people call for advice, right? And people go all the way up and they file complaints or they file lawsuits, right? But there's so many other steps um, in between. And I think the main thing as as a lawyer, right, you know, documenting things when they happen, right, to, to take those conversations and memorialize them when they feel like there's um, harm that's happening. You know, I just want to make sure I'm understanding. Earlier, you said X, Y, and Z, and I just want to make sure A, B, and C, you know, and whatever the issue is. I think um, there's a lot of other agencies I mentioned in the beginning. There's our state, um, you know, there's the Human Relations Act uh, for Pennsylvania, and they have a commission, and they have a complaint system, and they also investigate uh, the same level, you know, racial uh, claims, gender-based discrimination, disability, age, retaliation. Um, you know, there are a number of other agencies, ACLU, NAACP, right, um, that you can raise locally, raise the complaints with. And I think just the role of ELC and others that are statewide to be able to say, we're hearing this over here, we're seeing it over there, we're getting calls from this district, what's happening, right? And to be able to take those patterns and to say, like, this is not an isolated incident, this is not one family, it's not even just one district, um, this is a larger problem. And I think that that's uh, what I would add, even just, you know, this particular complaint, and we're focused on Penridge today, but it's not just Penridge, right? right. It's it's a larger issue that we're seeing across the state, across the country. Um, and there are these laws, right? They weren't written yesterday. Um, there are these legal protections that exist. And I think even just amplifying the fact that this is an option for families, I think can be really empowering. Um, and so to take it, even if someone's tuning in from somewhere else, right, another state to know that this is a federal office, right? It's not just applicable to this um, situation. This is uh, what our federal government has put in place, and it applies more than likely to your local district, to your housing rates, your employer, public agencies, and all of those things. I think just that as a as a society um, is what is what we would hope for that you know students are not political, right? Their identities are not political. They're students. They're people. They deserve respect. Um, acknowledgement and to not be harassed at school when they're trying to learn and um, to exercise those channels that exist to, to uphold that. 
100%. You know, and I love the suggestion about um, kind of writing it down. You know, for in, in a lot of the union work that I've done over the years at kind of my workplace is what's one of the things when you're documenting patterns of harassment, one of the things we'd say, look, if you're even if you're not ready to kind of make a complaint, if you don't feel it here, send yourself an email. Right. Right. Send yourself an email. So you got a timestamp and it's documented down. So then and then put it in a folder so you can kind of come back to that. Right. Um, and then so that you're, you know, um, again, goes to this thing. Yes, maybe maybe it is something that is a bigger is not as a big a deal as you might think of it at that moment. But maybe it's not. <laughs> right. Maybe it is exactly just one incidence of a, of a bigger deal. So um, listen, and I, I would also add to this, uh, you know, we also know that school districts in, say, Kutztown, for example, and also in Souderton, they went the other way this past election. Right. And now they seem to be wanting to embracing the same kind of um, backwards looking school policies that we saw in Penridge, that we saw in Central Bucks. And I've already seen folks from Penridge and Central Bucks starting to reach out to some of the folks in those other school districts to say, hey, you know what? You don't need to reinvent the wheel here. Right. Um, that we can kind of we could share this this knowledge, what you're saying here practices, right. how people organize this to make sure that that all kids are protected in every district. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Kevin, and I'll just add like that's exactly what the pair up has positioned itself to be is that um, organization that is there. And usually we are connected with families by referral. Right. Mm -hmm. It may be mm -hmm. someone posted something on social media and someone who knows about what we do and they're like, hey, reach out and contact them or, or they're friends with them and reach out and contact them. And so we we try to be that local voice that helps because it can be scary to reach out to a national organization and they get a lot of stuff. So maybe they'll get to it at some point. And so being that local space for people to be able to connect to. And right now, while we're, we're located in, in, in Penridge, we, we spread beyond that too across Bucks County to be able to provide that to support to students and families and, and give them the direction that they need. 100%. Well, look, there's a lot of thank yous coming in uh, for being on the show tonight. Uh, thank you, Adrian and Ashley. Thank you. Well done. We're absolutely working on building a playbook. Um, excellent points. Um, so, so glad that you came on tonight. want to remind everybody, if you want to get more information, you can head over to the Education Law Center to www.elc-pa.org. And you can check out the Pair Up Society at www.thepairupsociety.org. You can check out there for more information, how to get contact with, um, how to get in contact with both Ashley and Adrian and all these other folks, access to amazing resources um, to making sure that we're kind of, we're all in this together, everybody. Um, you know, we, we, we had a significant victory, I think, here in Penridge and in Central Bucks. And now we have kind of a playbook that we can move forward and say, and kind of, and share the wealth as it were, <laughs> to make sure all the kids kind of going through our districts are protected. So uh, thank you, Adrian and Ashley, so much for taking your time. I know I kept you longer than I promised. Um, so I really appreciate your time um, and sharing what, you're, what you've been doing with this community. Thank you. Yes, absolutely. Thanks, Thanks so much for having us. Thanks for having us. You bet. And thanks to everybody who tuned in tonight. Thank you for your comments. Make sure you share this widely um, because I think that, you know, we're not done. Right? Yeah. This is just the next chapter of the new beginning, right? So um, that's kind of where we are. Well, listen, everybody, thank you all for tuning in tonight. Uh, thank you um, for our awesome guest. I want to remind you that you can uh, help support this show. Oh, is this not working quite well? Here we go. That's not what I'm looking for. Hold on just a second here. How's this? Hey, music. How about that? <laughs> Thank you, everybody, for tuning in tonight. Um, this is Kevin Mahoney, editor and founder of Raging Chicken. You can help support us by heading on over to patreon.com slash rcpress. Till next time, everybody. See ya.